Hello and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri of podcast by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. Normally, we don't think much about companion animal behavior adaptability in our relationships with our dogs and cats. If what they're doing works for us, then all is well. How much behavioral rigidity or flexibility an animal displays is a function of the animal's genetic and epigenetic makeup as well as experiences. Epigenetic changes are those changes in the genome triggered by changes in the environment. The more diverse these influences, the more adaptable the animal to a greater range of variables. Meanwhile, those animals primed by genetics and experience to survive in a more controlled environment may flourish in these situations. Animals in both groups develop skills that enable them to achieve maximum stability in their respective settings. But although we personally may prefer one of these orientations over the other, both have their costs and benefits. In wild animals, these are more noticeable in this era of accelerated climate change and habitat destruction. This forces animals of many species to compete for fewer resources. In these situations, animals who normally would eat a wide range of foods may need to adapt to a much more limited menu. At the other end of the spectrum, those animals who thrived on a much more limited menu must expand it if they hope to survive at all. Those in both groups could find themselves competing for other scarce resources too. When those food supplies and other resources decline in variety and amount in their new environments, they may find themselves ill-prepared to compete with a mixed group of resident specialists who possess the skills to locate and maximally utilize what resources there are. At the same time, though, a particular specialist or group of specialists also may suffer when the exact resources they need don't exist or are in short supply with more animals competing In this case, the genetic, epigenetic, and experiential adaptations that supported their past successes will work against them. Although unfortunate for the individuals whose previous orientations no longer benefit them in a new environment, Mother Nature's in it for the long haul. Even if only a tiny fraction of the generalists or specialists survive long enough to reproduce in their new climate change created environments, with each successive generation, 
that population will grow. Ultimately, they may not look or act the same or have the same skills their ancestors did. Our companion animals face a different dilemma when it comes to the presence or absence of adaptability in specific environments. Whereas wild animals strive to succeed in an era of accelerated climate change and habitat destruction, companion animals routinely may strive to reconcile their inherited behavioral orientations, solitary, semi-solitary, or social, with an often biased spectrum of human expectations. Currently, that spectrum seems to favor social cats and dogs as the norm because we live in a society that champions human social behavior. People who elevate social interactions often judge cats and dogs based on their orientation. They label animals as social or solitary. Social is good, Solitary is bad. If they acknowledge the semi-solitary orientation at all, they perceive it as a poor compromise. These definitions also often assume that social orientations in animals are fixed rather than dynamic. They ignore the very real possibility that Regardless whether we choose to label an animal social, semi-social, or solitary, most normal dogs and cats do possess the potential to express the other orientations under different circumstances. However, how long it takes them to do this varies, just like it does in people. What kinds of different circumstances? A good example is the changes associated with the current COVID-19 lockdown occurring in many areas. Unlike climate change, the changes that required the lockdown occurred so swiftly and dramatically, they took a lot of people by surprise. One day, pet owners went to work or school or to fulfill other obligations as usual, leaving the dog and cat to do whatever they usually did when left alone. The next, people stayed home most of the day. Additionally, some of these people were stressed to the max for various reasons, most of which were incomprehensible to their animals. Canine or feline behaviors that pleased their people in small doses during their time off suddenly became annoying when those same people were trying to work from home. These and other changes possessed the potential to suddenly create a completely different human-animal physical, behavioral, and bond environment. And how human and companion animal handled that could depend on what criteria the person used to select the animal in the first place. 
Some of those desiring to add an animal to their household seek an animal whose social orientation matches their own. People who enjoy their solitude tend to gravitate toward animals who share this orientation. So do some more social folks who must spend long hours away from home who want their animals to feel comfortable in their absence. More solitary folks and their dogs prefer to take their walks alone. More social folks favor dog parks, doggy play dates, group walks, and other human canine activities. More solitary cat lovers often gravitate toward more solitary felines. More social cat folks who enjoy the company of others, including multiple cats, select cats who share their orientations. None of these orientations is right to the other's wrong. Because these are knowledge-based choices, the resultant bonds and behaviors supporting them are compatible and therefore stable. A second group uses a less practical, more emotional approach to dog or cat selection. These folks focus strictly on the animal's looks or the story that comes with the animal. They ignore the possibility that the purebred's looks may translate into physical and behavioral needs that they lack the skill or will to fulfill. Or they naively assume that the rescue's free-roaming past won't result in social orientations that may be incompatible with their lifestyle. Of the two approaches, the second often requires a lot more commitment and work on the owner's part to create a stable human-animal bond and the animal behavior that supports it. But in both cases, the lockdown, by its very nature, had the potential to change our animal's behavior and our bonds with them. It's so easy to take the dog for umpteen daily walks or engage in other strictly dog-related activities we normally don't have time for, when it seems like all we have is time. We also do it to preserve our own health and sanity. Or maybe we feed the pets more treats than usual because it makes us feel better or let the pets sleep on our beds instead of in their own beds as usual. But eventually a day of reckoning will come when pre-lockdown schedules to which our animals adapted, or even completely new ones to which our animals must adapt, will become the norm. So be kind to your animals now by preparing yourself and your animal for this. Pretend you're Mother Nature and take the longer view. Take your multiple walks with the dog as well as without her so she doesn't succumb to separation anxiety big time when you're gone. Watch the snacks for all those sound, healthy, and behavioral reasons we all know. 
And if the animal is driving you mad, seek help. No matter how good the old days now appear, we and our animals can adapt to our new todays and whatever the future may bring. Now is a good time to start preparing for that day. All we need is the will to do it. You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries, and books about animal behavior and the human-animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at mm@mmilani.com. All rights related to the content of this podcast are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com.